Intensely Inquisitive, the podcast that searches for answers to life's big and not so big questions from the people qualified to give them with your host, Orion Kelly. Hi, and thanks for taking the time to listen to Intensely Inquisitive. I'm Orion Kelly. At the core of this podcast is a desire to understand things on a deeper level, to know more and to ask why. My purpose is to empower you with knowledge, education and growth opportunities through open, honest and inquisitive conversations. In this episode, we explore the topic of comedy and ask the question, what's the deal with stand-up comedy? My guest, Bo Stegman, is a rising star in Australia's stand-up comedy scene. Hey Bo, thanks so much for talking to me. No worries, thanks for having me, Orion. It's great to see you again. Yes, it's been, I don't know, five... Five years? Who knows? It's been a while, but I mean, you know, still stay in touch and uh, it's great to follow you on, on, you know, social media channels and see your comedy progress. But can we start at the start? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is all about stand-up and I know I'm kind of, you know, taking the piss with my title, but, you know, what's the deal with stand-up comedy? But that's the point, right? That's kind of like a classic stand-up comedy kind of question. So from your point of view... Can you tell me, how, how did you actually get into stand-up? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Look, it's, I think it's something everyone's very aware about from a young age, that stand-up exists and that it's uh, that there's people that go around and just make jokes for a, a living and that's uh, that sounds wild and out there and it's something that I, w- I would have definitely had an interest in. Like, I, I was always just mucking around as a kid and um, I, I had a few people say, oh, you should do stand-up, you know, teachers that just... You should do stand up, bro. You're your always teachers, so funny. Your teacher said that. Yeah, you maybe should, oh, you're so funny. Yeah, you're so funny, bro. You want to do stand up? Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's more sarcastic than. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. No, no, they yeah, weren't. They weren't encouraging teachers. me at all. No, <laughs> they try to scare me off mucking around <laughs> because they wanted me to do work. So you should do stand. I was like, yeah, maybe I will. No, but I, I just didn't think it was. Uh, didn't think it was uh, too possible, or it's just like. There is no really career guide on how to get into it. it. Didn't come up in the career counselor's list of things you could do. I was just lucky because I I confided in a couple of friends that I'd I'd want to do stand up comedy, and then one of my friends went to uni in Geelong. She roomed with a person who was a comedian, and then she was just like, "I have a friend. You should get him into comedy." So it was uh, really like kind of, yeah, just tandem with that. I went down to Geelong, I hung out with him and he just said, yep, come do five minutes at my uh, stand-up comedy festival show, which was um, at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. So my first six gigs were at the festival. Wow. Yeah, and that was uh, that was 2007. Can you actually remember your first material, like your first joke that Absolutely, you, you performed? Yeah. What, what, what was it? Yeah, okay. Um, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, no, no. All right. I, I, can, I think I can do this. As a, by the way, I was 19, right? I was 19. Stop. Stop. Everyone knows I've asked, can you tell us your first one? Don't have to preface it. Let's just hear it for its glory. Sure. I, uh, I just moved out of home recently and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm struggling, right? Uh, it's not just the bills I've got to start paying or the forms you've got to fill out. I'm, I'm struggling with the simple stuff. Like I went to use a washing machine the other day and said full wash and half wash. <laughs> And I was, I don't want my clothes half washed. I don't even know why that option's on there. So like I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm going to go to work, one pant leg dirty, one pant leg clean. Sorry, I put it on half wash accidentally last night. I apologise. Which, I mean, that, that joke doesn't make sense now because there's no machines to say half wash. But for those that are listening that are a little bit younger, um, 
there, there was machines that just said full wash yeah. and half wash, which, which obviously just meant is it is it half full or is it is it full? It's a water level thing if people are playing at home. But I, you know what though. That's actually funny. The reason why I say it is, is it fair enough to say that if you look back, um, you might be like a bit cringy with some of the stuff you did early, but then I think, bloody hell, mate, that, that's some funny stuff and that's your literally your first go at it. Are you surprised of where you've come from to where you are now? I mean, it must be, it must I, be kind of amazing <laughs> when you look back because, you know. I'm surprised how, <laughs> not how far, but how, how you know, how – I'm very near to the starting line. <laughs> that hasn't changed. <laughs> I still just do 100% washing machine gear, actually. It's just all washing machines. I'm That's not true. Hopefully get onto the stove in the next year. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, sure. It's it's uh, it's somewhat it's somewhat of an amusing like you can see why it's a joke. Um, I think I had a very f- good very good first 5 minutes and I think that that may have halted or, or or stunted my progress because yeah. coming coming into it where I just I think I had a really good five minutes straight up and because it was the first five minutes I just wrote it and then I performed on stage and did very well a lot of people gave me a lot of compliments a lot of comedians were just like you know you know really really good and I think I think there was the there was the guy that actually got me into comedy told me that I should go into a stand-up competition because I had a really good chance of winning it. And this was like guys that had been doing it for two, three years and he told me to go in it. And I think that I just, I, I think it really honestly it went to my head. And I was just like, oh, I don't have to work hard because I'm a, I think I'm a, a child prodigy, really. And so I think that um, the next few years I didn't really write too much because I'm just like, oh, it's not, it's not coming easily. So it's not coming. So I think, uh, I think it did stunt it a, a little okay. bit. So looking back now, because, you know, you people, not you, but people say, look, you're really talented, mate, and you, the stuff you've just written from the start, uh, your first go was, you know, funny and, and quite good. Personally, do you think that um, when you look back now, you're a bit regretful on that early period of your career, you could have achieved more? Is that what you're saying? Because uh-huh. you kind of rested on it. Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, 110%. Um, yeah, I, uh, I thought I could do it all without any kind of hard work. I thought it just naturally came came to me and that it's so it's so um like first of all it stunted my stand-up comedy growth because I didn't work I didn't do I didn't put in the hard yards but then secondly the people around me I think I have this knowledge that I'm very very natural and other people work hard because they're not natural like me it's very it's a very arrogant uh thing to think and then uh, I'm not sure how much of it came across but I bet a bit did so I don't think that I made too many friends at the start as well. Like, bear in mind, look, I'm a, I'm a 19-year-old kid, uh, so I think it happened too early for me. I don't think I really grew up till probably last week, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I yeah, but like, uh, yeah, absolutely. So to that 19-year-old kid that we're talking about, what, what you know, because, I mean, I've already hear one thing, which is, you know, you've got to work hard. If you want anything in life, you've got to, what would you tell that 19-year-old kid now? I mean, I, I'd tell him, uh, don't do this, but no, I, I, no, no, I was, I'm kidding. Um, I, d- I definitely tell him, mate, work hard, right? Um, because you're probably not one of the naturals. You're probably not, uh, I, th- I think there are naturally gifted people, uh, and that, but I think that those, they come with naturally other, other nat- naturally gifted things, such yeah. as, I mean, the, the, good looking people, like those are, those are the naturally gifted ones. Look, they're, they're funny. And they're good looking, great. You're coasting, right? I was uh, maybe funny for five minutes, 
and uh, people have said that my eyes are too close together. So I'm not, I'm not the massively good looking man. Um, so I am one of the worker bees, and I did have to work hard, and then I didn't. So I wasted pretty much five years, and I've seen people come up in five years, like uh, Dilruk Jaya Singer, who just won a. Um, uh, a Logie for Best New Talent or a year ago or something. Now he appears on a, a lot of things. He, I, I, um, I emceed his second gig ever. And uh, he he went from zero to five years. He went from this amazing comedian. And uh, in my first five years, I had nowhere near that progress. Well, how does that make you feel? And what have you learned from it? Um, it I mean, it, 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 it doesn't make me feel sad. It's just my life and the way I've lived it, you know? Like, I, I don't really... Obviously, I re- there's a there's a you regret it, but then also it's just like what can you do? You've just lived your life. It doesn't matter, you know. Um, how I've changed it was that the second part of the question, or yeah, I, I mean, I definitely work harder now. Yeah, yeah, okay, uh, absolutely. Was stand up comedy always a career goal for you once you kind of you know started dabbling in it, or did it seem like more of a hobby and you'd have to get a real job? It definitely felt as soon as I as soon as I did stand up, um, I'm just like I don't want to. I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. Everything else is temporary until I can transition into stand-up comedy full-time. So I was definitely like, I do have to get a job, but it's such a temporary job. In, in three, four years, I'm going to be doing stand-up full-time. It's, just, it's to support your goal and your dream. That's what it's Absolutely, for. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Now, when did you first know you were funny? Was it a young age? When, do, you, do you remember? Yeah. I remember always being cheeky to my teachers in primary school. Um, I think... Yeah, grade five, grade six, I was I was pretty cheeky where I'd just I'd try and make the teachers laugh. In year seven, I hadn't had a growth spurt. I was four foot seven in year seven. I was shorter than most of the girls. Okay. And that's when I uh that's when I just I harped up the comedy. Yeah. I think I was in a comedy like I was in a play where I was a a minor character and in the in the in the first <laughs> In the first act, I'm just uh, like in the rehearsals. I just put on a stupid voice, and everyone found it so funny. They ended up being the main character of <laughs> of the thing, and so I just yeah. And then from then, I'm just like, all right, I'm the funny one, and this is how I fit in. Did your family find you funny? Yeah, I th- I think um I think they were really disappointed that I didn't do too much work in school, um and I was always kind of getting in trouble a little bit, so. I think uh, I think they I mean they eventually supported it when I told my dad I wanted to do stand up he's just like great I think he was so happy that I wanted to do anything at that point <laughs> that he was he was willing to back it to the moon if I told him 5 years earlier he probably would have would have like suggested not <laughs> but at this point he's just like yeah no go for it so growing up through your whole life did you ever dream of any kind of career or or job or was it always kind of entertaining like as in, oh, I I want to be a I want to be a doctor. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a lawyer. I mean, you did you always think I want to entertain? I want to make people laugh. Yeah, it was always entertaining. It was yeah. always stand up comedy from the from the get go. I think um, I mean like growing up, I uh, I was really into football, really into AFL. I wanted to be an AFL player growing up. Legitimately, but I just legitimately wanted wanted to be an AFL player growing Have up. Have you ever played football? Yeah, I, I'll give it a go. You know, okay. I I, uh, I did I did try hard. Like some, you know. Yeah, sometimes you just you're not good enough. But you loved it. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. So that, you've won then. Yeah. If you're, lo- if you're loving what you're doing, if you're loving playing footy with your mates, you, you've won. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spot you, on. You dreamed of playing in in the AFL. Yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. Uh, seriously, like I, I don't. I'm not. That's not a question mark. I'm saying how seriously. Like, did you seriously, seriously? 
I, I, I thought, you know, at, at um, 13, 14, that that was, that was my career path. I'd, I'd be an AFL player. What but kind I, of things did you put into place to achieve that goal? Look, maybe not enough. I used to handball uh, to the – like, I, I used to do all these drills at home. So I'd go to training, do all these drills, I'd play. I wasn't, you know, an amazing player. I was more of a cheeky forward pocket. But at, at um, around 16, 17, I'm just like, all right, well, I don't think I'm, I'm good enough. And, um, you know, maybe it, it, you see mature age players – getting recruited at 25, 26 now. So who knows if I... You're still holding out hope? Or? Well, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm 31, mate. I'm, uh, I'm past it. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just saying if I yeah. stuck with it, maybe, maybe I could have gotten re- recruited 10 years later. Well, so you, you, um, you, but you, I thought, you think you're that good? Yeah. I, ju- I just thought that at 17, yeah. if you're not in a position to get drafted, then you never will. And that was, that was the case back then. A lot of times, you know, when we talk to people who were kind of in entertainment, comedy, that kind of thing, I found it's really helped them. It's been, it's been almost like their defense or, you know, it's a way of, of kind of calming situations down. Um, you know, it helps conflict. Has humor helped you growing up and, and ha- how has it helped you? Um, it is, it's, it's definitely helped. It can hinder as well because okay. uh, I, I think that I I deal with everything through humour. I think um, I, I at times just can't be serious. And so if there are situations in which someone is going through grief, I try to lighten the m- mood. And I actually I actually um, lost one of my – not lost one of my friends. Uh, one of my friends just – stopped talking to me for about three, four years because uh, his uh, dad had passed away and I made a, a, a just a mistimed joke about it, thinking that I was lightening the mood and thinking that, you know, all right, this is a very serious moment. How can we get this conversation back on track to something, you know, jovial? And so I made a comment and then he was upset by that and I, I, went, I wasn't mates with him for the longest time. We, we're now um, actually probably closer than we were before Um but I just thought, well, everyone's like me. Everyone will enjoy a joke. And I think that I, you know, maybe I took it too far sometimes. And I think that's something that I had to learn is to balance those. Now I think I've got the balance correct. I mean, when you're hosting stuff like um, weddings, which I'm doing now, and box parties and stuff like that, you do need to find that balance because it's someone else's event and you need to be humorous, but then you also can't, you know, overtake the show or, or be a talking point at all. To their wedding, you know. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah. can I say you have full permission to to not sense yourself in any way during this chat? Spot on. Your hair's gross. No, I'm sorry. You're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Please be yourself. And I think the point is that's you. Yeah. Right? So we're all different. Yeah. And hopefully you love just the idea of comedy and humour enough to allow someone like me to be like you like I naturally I like to just crack stupid jokes say stupid things I do the same thing yep. now I'm I'm not funny like you are you know we're, we're different levels of funny but we're but but to us it's both when we say something it's funny there's just different levels but you, you I'm assuming you you just respect the idea that you see value in that in being able to just just lighten a load lighten a moment have some fun enjoy I mean there's value in it for you obviously yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think that it's, I mean, it's fun. It's fun when people are joking around. It's 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 funny. It, people enjoy themselves. Like everyone's happy when they're laughing. Absolutely. And uh, and well, I I take I take issue with the fact that you're saying we're different levels of fun. I think you're a very funny guy, and you you always enjoy yourself. And uh, you've got your own humor. I've got mine. And I think it, you know, that's just that's just the way everyone deals with it. But you you deal with a lot of things with humor. I do, and that's why I enjoy I enjoy talking to you and hanging out because you know it's. 
so we can we can just riff. Yeah, you know, we can just yeah, go absolutely. each other. Um, yeah. You can say whatever you want. Okay? <laughs> now, let's get to the Melbourne comedy scene. You obviously work in the Melbourne comedy scene. From my point of view, it seems like it's pretty much the breeding ground of some of Australia's best comics. What's your thoughts on the Melbourne comedy scene, and obviously being a part, growing up in it? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's changed over the last um, the last five or six years uh, for the for the better. I think when how? I f- yeah, well, I think when I first started. I could do one gig maybe every um, five weeks if I'm lucky. Now you can do five in a in three days. You can do seven in a week, um, and that's just like not booking, just rocking up to an open mic, signing up, doing a gig, yeah. jumping across town, and it's uh, it actually it it makes the process a lot quicker. You develop a lot quicker than you when you do now. Um, I think uh, the comedy se- you, you're right in saying that the Melbourne has the best comedy scene in Australia just by results, uh, by the fact that there's more people here. Um, I think if you move up to Sydney, there's just that there's a tier that's off the top. There's a lot of comedians uh, live in Melbourne, so even even like your Tom Gleasons, your Dave Hughes, um, your Fiona Lachlan's, they're all they'll all be special guests at you know open mic nights. They might drop in in Sydney. You don't have that, so then the next level tier is up. So, um, you know, if, if you're kind of an established comedian, sometimes it's, it's actually better living in Sydney or Adelaide or Perth because you get, actually get paid. Um, whereas in Melbourne, there's such a, there's such a influx of comedians, um, especially in the last six years, that there's too many. And then so when there's not a lot of demand, but then a, a lot of product, the value goes down. So you're, you're essentially working for free in the comedy scene. And then you just, you hope for those, um, those footy club gigs and, and stuff where they actually, you know, pay a decent wage. So in saying that, being in, you know, because in, in the end you are in the real melting pot of Australian comedy and as you say, you, you go to other cities and potentially get better gigs and more money. But in saying that, being in this scene with all you've just talked about, that must have really, you must have really loved and appreciated and that must have really helped your growth in a fast way. Like uh, you must have been able to, what, what, how has it helped you? What have you learned? Yeah, well, I mean, like, just the fact that, you I mean, you're around these people that, like, I mean, anyone that's serious about comedy moves to Melbourne, and so you're around these people that are so motivated, and that motivates you more than anything, um, just because you don't want to, um, you, you don't want to fall behind, um, because they're, they're always improving, you've got to improve with them. I think the fact that, um, that in the Melbourne comedy scene, the biggest benefit of it is that it is revolving around the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Of course. Um, and there's a push that you need a new show every year, a new 60 minutes every year. And people in, people in America don't do that. They, they have one 60 minute show for three or four years that they tour America with. Then they landed on a Netflix special, a HBO special, and then they might start writing new or they might just, you know, reap the money in from the HBO special for a year and then and then just jump around the open mics. But in Australia, and particularly in Melbourne, you've got to write a new 60 minutes every year. If you don't do a show in that year, you feel as though you're falling behind. And definitely when you're around the Melbourne National Comedy Festival, everyone's doing shows and they're saying, oh, I've got big numbers, I'm sold out, I was nominated for an award. You do feel like you miss out. So it is, um, it's kind of like going, you know, being in a race. Yep, and uh, if you make a pit stop, you just like hurry, 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 hurry. Get a, get get the wheels back on. I need to get back out there, and that that's how the Melbourne comedy um, scene feels. Um, that's a good thing, right? I mean, 
that, that was a good. That was a, that yeah. was definitely a good thing. Um, gr- uh, growing up, developing yeah. definitely a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So spot on. You need your jokes in a certain way. Um, I think Melbourne audiences are very appreciative of jokes as well. So it's not just like your, you know, the ones you read out of a joke book, or the, you know those uh, classic. Here's an Aussie. You know, um, how how Aussie is that? None of that yeah. stuff. Go to Queensland if you enjoy that humour, but like uh, in Melbourne, they they uh, they'll wait for you to if you've got a great story, they'll wait for you to get into it, yeah, so yeah. the punchlines can come. So they're very patient. So that helped as well. So just the fact that you had all these people just gunning towards just being the absolute best comedian they could possibly do, plus you've got audiences that will be patient enough for you to get there, and the fact that there is that that challenge and reward with the Melbourne National Comedy Festival. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I mean, there's a there's a reason I'm still in Melbourne, you know. Yeah. How do you find the top tier people are for people like not just yourself, but when you started out, all the different tiers? Is is there a camaraderie, a family, a friendship, or is that just rubbish? Nah, family, friend. I, th- I think the only the only people that you kind of half don't get on with is people in the in the same tier. You know, you hang out. <laughs> You hang out, but they're you know they're all they're all like kind of just like kind of looking at you and just going like, all right, I hope he has a bad set. Kind of like there was a lot of that going up. Oh, and I was in that I was in that cycle for a bit. I was just like, man, if he kills it, that means I'm gonna kill it. And then if I don't kill it, he's improved. And you're like different people, like there's no there's no comparison. Yeah, I know Who that cares? now. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know that now. And I, and and, I, and I'm like that now. I was like, I don't I don't care, mate. Like I mean, there's money for all of us. Don't yeah. worry about it, brother. Um. But like I think I think above above everyone's lovely everyone's lovely like um, I mean Tom Gleason um, who won the Gold Logie this year he was he sold out his whole show in the Comedy Festival he volunteered uh, to fly for other people who hadn't sold out so he was volunteering like he was flying for um, comedians that haven't been on TV going hey. I'm Tom Gleeson, I've sold out, but come to this guy, this guy's very great. And then also put on his Facebook and Twitter and challenged other comedians to do that as well, comedians that had sold out. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the top tier that you can get and they're still helping us out. Um, we never know about that, by the way. We Regular everyday people would never know that. We just see, you know, the performing Tom. Yeah, yeah. You know, the kind of hard chat Tom. Yeah, yeah. But, but what you're saying is, you know, these, these kind of top tier comedians – uh, when they're just regular everyday people, they actually care for oh, 100%. for the people, and they actually go out of their way to help. And I f- that must make you want to reciprocate for people below you. Oh, definitely, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, like, I, I don't think there's many people below me still. Like, <laughs> there uh, is, um, but yeah, no. Look, I I try and help out where I can, but like, uh, just just the fact that um, you know, even when you get up to the top. Um, that they're, they're helping out everyone. Uh, I know Tommy Little as well, who um, who he, he, he had a show in a Hamer Hall and instead of going, hey, go see my mate Dave Thornton across the road who had already sold out as well, he would pick an unknown comedian. In, in this case, I think he picked a comedian called Blake Everett who's 19 years old and said, uh, hey, Blake Everett is doing a gig in a 30-seater, three streets that way, then go down a small alleyway, say hi to a man named Greg, and he'll whisper the venue to you. Um <laughs> Anyway, Blake's outside handing out flyers, and he did that as well. So, I mean, it's a, it is definitely a community that is so lovely, and uh, it, there is a camaraderie. And I think um, I think it, it's also great that, like, I think everyone that is on TV that gets those opportunities, 
you can see them working hard behind the scenes. So it's really, really easy to cheer on the big guys. I think yeah. in, in a lot of industries, it's just like, oh, the bigger guys, the major companies are cutting out the, you know, the little companies. You know, if I was a grocer, a chance yeah. our family grocer, I'd hate Woolworths and Coles. Sure, but, exactly. No, exactly. But um, you just see how hard these guys work. And then they and then they get the benefits from it. You're like, great, this is this is good. Yeah. And then they do that stuff back to us, and it's just like, all right, fantastic. We are a family. So you, you actually you really you really value working as a comedian in in Australia. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a really great. I mean, like there there are definitely pockets of um of uh, areas that we can definitely improve, and definitely like uh, I mean, we're trying to be a more inclusive community, and there's definitely people that oppose that. And we get in arguments and then, you know, name calling is thrown around. There's definitely stuff that we need to work on and definitely improve. Yeah. But at the moment, look, I mean, it's always been at a healthy state where we are, yeah. you know, supporting each other. What's Australia like as a whole for working comedians trying to hone their craft and earn a living that haven't reached any kind of tier? I mean, is it, you say everyone should go to Melbourne, but how does it compare to other countries when it comes to honing a craft, making some sort of living? Uh, in terms of making a living, it's it's quite difficult. We basically got five markets, whereas like uh, the states have a hundred hundred fifty markets. So, um, and then once you do those five markets, well, you were there for you were there two months ago. So how long how long ago can you do that? So, Australians, if they if they do want to make a living, they've got to do a, a festival circuit or get another gig. So radio. TV or just do do a festival circuit where it's just like you do have to go to Edinburgh, you do have to go, you know, overseas to, you know, maybe a couple of fringes and try and make your money that way in terms of, or you can, or you can jump on cruise ships as well. What I do is I, you know, I'm, I, I've expanded my job role a little bit. Um, I'm not just a stand up comedian, but I'm a, a professional host or entertainer. Yep. Yep. So yep. I'm, I make a living in Melbourne um, hosting, uh, a lot of weddings, hosting a lot of trivia events, ho- hosting um, some bucks parties and stuff like that. So, okay. uh, so I I do that, and um, I kind of tell the stand up comedy world like, you come to me, but this is what my night's worth. And sometimes it works out, but it's just like, you know, you know if I'm if I'm getting paid two hundred on a Saturday for doing a bucks night or whatever, I'm happy to do stand up, but they've got to come to the table. And sometimes they do with it. It's it's mainly like kind of footy clubs and RSLs and stuff like that. Um, and other times they don't. But it's just looking at your calendar and working out where you can fit it in. How do you find? Because obviously being a you know a stand up, how do you find that other work? Do you enjoy it? Do you kind of resent it? Do you appreciate it? How, how are you finding that other hosting work? Oh, it's, yeah, it, it depends. It's it's definitely work. But like, I mean, stand up feels like work as well. Like, I mean, like. I uh, you don't get to pick your gigs. You get to gig, but you don't get to pick them. Like I mean, like at a footy club, you're rocking up there. You know, you've got 70, 80 people that are very drunk that all know each other and are ready to heckle, and you just want to do your do your gig. You're missing. You're missing your own. You know, you're missing a birthday party. You're missing going to the footy with your mates. You're missing hanging out with your own mates. Instead, you're hanging out with 80 people that all know each other, and then there's you, and you've got to get up and make them laugh. And they all want their in-jokes thrown in. They're always like, hey, make sure you say Dazza, blah, blah, blah. That still feels like work. It's like it's still work. I'm just good at it, you know. So stand-up is never meant to be 100% completely fun. It's a job that I'm good at, 
that's the same way I look at the hosting work as well. Yeah. It's a job that I'm good at. It's not fun. I'd rather be doing stand-up for the same amount of money, but I wouldn't be rather doing stand-up for less. So that's, that's where I'm at. What have been your highlights so far performing in Australia as a stand-up? Oh, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping for highlights. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you've done, you know, you've done shows, yeah. you've sold out shows, you've played venues. I mean, what, do you, what do you look on fondly so far in your career? I'm, uh, I'm very happy. I don't th- so I've been told that this, isn't, this is my second best show and not my best. But I'm, I was very happy. I, I um, wrote a show called System Restore. And it was about uh, the fact that I had three heart surgeries, one of which was on the 6th of March and the show was opening on the 17th and it wasn't wasn't written yet <laughs> because I didn't know how the heart surgery on the 6th would go, so I don't know what tone to take. And if the tone to take, you know, you've got to write the ending before you write the beginning because the beginning is going to lead to the ending. So it's just like, well, I don't, I don't know how this show is going to go. So going into this heart surgery, I, I was opening in 11 days and I had no idea what I was how the show was going to look. Uh, heart surgery went well. Um, uh, that was that was two years ago, so I haven't had a problem since, which is great. But then it's just like I had two, three days of recovery and then I was like, now I need to write the show. And um, I pulled a show together and uh, it, it was incredible because I, I think I just – it was my most free-flowing show – and it was it was it, it was funny, um, and it was it was uh, it was very very. It was just like I was telling a story, but it, they had jokes in it that I just wrote on the fly, and it was just I was very proud of that moment, definitely. So the heart surgery stuff. I mean, the what it produced, kind of. You say it was more free flowing and a bit different. So do you think that that experience changed your perspective on life and ha- and how and even on your the way you do your your comedy? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean, incredibly. It's it's incredibly life changing. I think when I when I first got uh, diagnosed with a heart condition, I the, the I was so grateful for everything that had occurred. I was grateful that it it just it wasn't worse. Um, I was grateful that um, you know everything every surgery was for free. I was grateful. You know, you really find out who your family and friends are. I was grateful for the support they showed me. There was no moment of the only. St- sadness or the difficult thing that I was going through was um, my family was also going through it and they didn't know how I felt. Um, you know, they could ask how I were. They, they did, they, but you know, I, I would, sometimes they would call me and I'd, I'd be in hospital. I went to hospital like seven, eight times during those three year period of the three surgeries died seven times. Cause they had to, they had to stop my heartbeat to, to get it back to normal again. So um, that, that definitely, like kind of, I just, it was just so, just so, wow, I'm, I've already won at life. Like you you try so hard to try and achieve something, but they're, they're goals that you give yourself. I mean, you don't, and, and that's great. If you want to, if you want to try and achieve something, go for it, achieve it, try your hardest to achieve it. But don't think that those goals that you give yourself is needed for your own happiness and for your own success. You're you're already successful because you live in a world where people care about you and you care about you, hopefully a good person, um, and you do things. And I think that that is success. So I think just the fact that it's just like that gave me such perspective that it's just like, well, I am successful. There isn't a struggle. Any struggle that I do have in trying to earn money from stand-up or, or achieve these things in stand-up that I want to achieve, that's a struggle because I choose it to be a struggle. It's not something that I need in life. It's not something, you know, at the end of my days that I have to hand in a report card. 
it's nothing. You, I, these are my struggles because I choose to be challenged. And that, that was so refreshing to feel that I was already successful. It sounds like, I mean, obviously the, the surgeries and, you know, in effect dying seven times, it sounds like it has profoundly changed you as a, as a person yeah. and profoundly changed how you view life. It reminds me of the podcast I did with my wife. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she had a, an ectopic pregnancy, which basically means that, you know, um, a baby ruptured um, her fallopian tube inside her and basically she had so much blood and she was dying. She basically died in surgery and they brought her back to life. And her, her whole outlook on life changed and it came down to number one you've just got to you've just got to do what makes you and the people around you happy and peaceful everything else is irrelevant and you know there's no use worrying what other people think you know just do do what do what feels right for you enjoy your life it's super short you never know when it's going to end so you've really got to embrace it from your point of view so you know what are the key things that you that cha- that change for you that you now you know you, li- you live your life by based on you know that profound experience how, how different is the way you live your life now yeah I'll, I'll i'll answer that but first off like if you haven't listened to that episode i believe it's the first episode of intensely inquisitive yeah, and it is actually a, a, a very it is very very intense um but it's also it's very insightful and i uh, I, I listened to that uh, earlier this week and it was a great episode and a great first episode as well it's like no pulling punches <laughs> let's jump straight in there so Thanks, it, was, it was really great um i uh I think I just uh, I value things that are d- a little bit differently. I touched on it just before, but um, at the end of the day, I'm either going to have regrets or I'm not. But yep. Yep. Re- regardless of those regrets, you still you die anyway. You know, yeah. <laughs> like exactly. it's just like I get I get in my own life, and it's just like, did I achieve the things I wanted to achieve? And it, it, you know, if I say no. Then I pass away, you know, I take my final breath and I'm disappointed. But like if I go, uh, did I achieve the things I wanted to achieve? And uh, I look around the room and all my awards are all up there and the mayor is shaking my hand, you know, <laughs> and then uh, and then I'm just like, yes, and I nod and then I die anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There's no, there's no report card that you have to... You know, and I guess for you know, religious people would suggest that all right, well, there is a report card, and that's in the afterlife. But I, I fasten that too. If you are religious, you're kind of like the kids studying at home while everyone else is out partying. It was like you're you're not living for this life. You've got something yep. in store that's you know that's that's way along. So look, it, our our philosophy is different on that. Um, you know, you're got your nose. In the Bible, searching for a higher education. So uh, you know. So live in the moment is important to you. Living in the moment, yeah. You, you, I'll t- I'll say what I feel, and then you you give me a a a log line for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really important, isn't it? Being present, living yeah. in the moment, enjoying your life. It's 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 funny yeah. how. Do you think it's strange that people have to go through profound experiences to realise that? Happiness is more important than you know money or jobs or other things. You think that's kind of strange, or uh, it, it is kind of the key, isn't it? We, we kind of go through yeah. things and realize, oh, hang on a second, this uh, is this is all I've got. I'm going to die. Yeah. I might as well be happy. I mean, I think it's just so easy to go through life uh, not having epiphanies. You know, <laughs> like you know, epiphanies were so easy to have that they wouldn't have such a strong wording. Epiphany. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite powerful. No, I, I yeah, it's just something to snap you out, you know. Like I, I mean, you know, you read a meme on Facebook and you, you know, an inspirational meme. You're like, yeah, great, and then, but then it's just like, unless you're doing something, that doesn't matter. So exactly, exactly, yeah. All right, now where else in the world have you performed? 
Stand-up wise, you've been around, obviously around Oz, and I know you've been, you know, to the US and things. Talk us through some of the places aside from Oz you've performed, and how did it compare? Um, I performed in um, in the world famous Laugh Factory in LA. Wow, that's awesome! And bombed, just. <laughs> Horribly. Uh, Who was, cares, right? You, you, you know, you gave it a crack. You played there. What happened? No, I think it, I think it's funny that I bombed. What, what uh, happened? Because I think there's a oh, it, it sounds very glamorous, and it's like I might put it on a poster. It, was, it wasn't glamorous at all. I, I didn't do well. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't capture the audience. I don't think that I uh, American comedy is very different. They don't care about you. They care about your jokes. Yeah. And in Australia, it's the opposite. And it's the same with British humour as well. It's just like, no, 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 we want to, we need to like you yeah. to like what you're saying, you know? And uh, and I think that that's, that's the key is that I get up there, I've got this very likable persona, but it's the jokes are hidden because I purposely hide them. I don't want to just come out and just go like, all right, so I was walking down the street the other day and then this happened and I thought, bang, and then, oh, I had a clever thought, you know. That's the punchline. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I I had a clever retort. Good on you, dude. It sounds like you're you're boastful and a loser, you know. (laughs) What were you doing on the tram anyway, you know. But you didn't even mention that you're tapped on, right. You're probably fair evading. You know, so I so I like I don't I hide the punchlines a little bit. You yeah. know, I want I want I want people to enjoy themselves, but they've got to enjoy you first. So um, this is my first gig in in um in America. Uh so I I did that and uh yeah, just didn't do didn't do well. It's it actually brings me to the next question though, because I, I'm really interested. You know, not not knowing, are there different types of stand up styles? And, and how, how would you describe your style? Mine's uh, very much storytelling. I would say it's energetic storytelling. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how to do it any other way. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people who are just, they do have that more American style where it's just like, here's the setup, right? Here's all the information you need to know to get the punchline, which is now. There you go. What else can I tell you? And then yep. uh, I'd prefer a little more more organic. The way I see it, and this is not the way most people see it, but um, uh, when you get up on stage, you are talking to strangers, and I want that organic feeling that you talk between strangers. That's why I don't really do too much blue material um, or too much material about sex. It's just because I, I feel as though that's a conversation you may have with, you know, your partner or your close mates or, you know, whatever. But it's not something that you meet a stranger within five minutes and you're talking about. So yeah, yeah. that's how I feel in terms of that. So I feel as though any, any, sort of, uh, any sort of interaction with the audience needs to be organic, like it is a person talking to a stranger for the first time. Um, and so that generates itself to storytelling. And that's that's what I do, but there's a lot of other styles. And so, based on your style, how much work actually goes into preparing material, and and how do you go about it? What's your your way? I do I do it a little differently. So I would I would come up with some sort of um, some some something I want to talk about, um, and then I would I would then about half an hour before the gig, something that I find funny. Something that I was like, all right, well, this is pretty funny. And then about half hour before the gig, I need to be in the room because I, w- I need to hear the audience. You know, I need to see the audience. And that adrenaline helps me write the punchline a lot more. And then I was like, all right, so I've got a punchline. I've got a- an about where I want to go. And then I'll jump on stage and I'll do it. So these are open mics that are free. The audience are not paying 
So it's just like, well, I'm trying stuff, and that's that. I'll, I'll find I'll find the joke on stage, but that's how I do it. So I got a general idea. I'll try and write a punchline at the kind of gig, so I know. So I have a get out. I was like, well, at least if it's not funny, I can throw this out and then get out of there. Um, but usually, if it's a stand up, if it's an open mic, it doesn't matter if you get out anyway. You're just like you trail off and you're just like, all right, well, that wasn't funny. Um, you didn't. You paid nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> and where do you get ideas, inspiration from? Uh, it's it, it just comes through like, I mean, if something happens to you, you want to tell a mate. Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Uh, and I always want to make things as funny as I can. I've got friends that appreciate humour. So, you know, if something happens to me during the day, the next time I see a mate, I'll tell them that. I was like, oh, dude. Weirdest thing happened to me on the tra- you know on the tram. There's this crazy guy. He was doing that, you know. But then I'm I'm trying to make it funny just to my friend. Yeah, it's the same process. Okay. Just if I feel passionate about saying something, yep, yep. I'll say it. It seems like it's to me. It seems scary that you could get to a situation where you'll actually um, not know the punchline uh, until you're virtually on stage. It yeah, seems like a really scary <laughs> thing for you know regular everyday people who don't want to speak in public. You're a comedian who doesn't even know the punchlines. He's pretty much on stage. That's extraordinary. I mean, I've been doing it for 12 years and you you, you turn that fear into adrenaline. You find a punchline pretty quickly. And if, if you don't, well, the world's not going to crash and burn, you know. So it's, you know, you either find it or you don't. That is the thing that I am good at is being on stage, improvising, trying to riff something, just trying to get a gauge of the energy of the audience that's something that i can do well yeah. and i always want to use that to my advantage so that's that's one of my advantages as a stand-up comedian one of my disadvantages is that i can't really sit down and write i can't choose a topic i have to be passionate about the topic already yeah so things like that so just use what you can and also you're just trying to you know create content that actually works and the, the audience respond to because I mean, in the end it's about connection it's about connecting with people and i think from from my experience in you know, in, in knowing you, you know, that that's really um, a gift for you, that that gift of, of more just, all right, let's have a conversation. Let's, what are we talking? Let's talk about some stuff. And then somehow, somehow by the end we finish talking, there's, you know, you've, you've made us laugh and, and there we go. What, a, that was a fun little conversation. And that, to me, that's a gift, whether it's, you know, uh, podcasting, conversations, radio, you know, that, you're right in that slot because, you know, you have that that skill, that ability to just talk to people about anything and somehow you can just find a way of making us laugh at the end. Yeah. I know you're good at that because that's your thing, you know, just organic conversations that are funny. Podcasting, just like that, radio, and this kind of, this is this is your slot and you're fantastic. Do you, do you like, because I haven't heard, I don't know, do you, yeah. do, do, you do a podcast? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, so no, you no. don't do podcasts, do you do any radio? No, I don't. Who do you look up to? Who do you look up to in comedy? Orion Kelly. <laughs> no, seriously. Who do you look up to in comedy? Man, I look up to everyone. I look up to it. I I idolise my family and my friends more than I idolise actual people in uh, the industry that do the same job as me. Well, that's a good answer. I think um, uh, those are the people that I value the most. Uh, there are people that are doing similar things at a higher level than me, Um that are more highly skilled and I appreciate them and I appreciate the niceness in which they, I mean, like I I mentioned with Tom Gleason before, very lovely. I appreciate all of those guys. I like the comedy of Jerry Seinfeld, (laughs) 
Well, I, I don't think I idolise anyone that that uh, I don't I don't think. Well, too I said look up to. I said look up to. Oh, look up to. Yeah. But, uh, but that's sh- a good answer, though. Sh- sure, that's I, a good answer. I don't know anyone as close as I know my family and friends. I look up to them. And I think it's a great answer. So we just talked about radio and podcasting. Do you have any any kind of thoughts on on the way stand up comedy can be shared? The way you know comedians can share their content to the world these days, apart from live gigs, or are you just not up for it. Well, you're either you you're good at certain things. So if you're good at doing YouTube sketches and, and creating gags out of that to go with your stand up, go for it. If you want to, you know, kind of release. Like I know ABC's uh, releasing next gen comedy specials as well. I mean, that's a, that's a great path to get people towards your content. Uh, in terms of podcasts, there's a lot of successful podcasts. I know a comedian that started a podcast. And he was so good at the podcast that the podcast over kind of took his stand-up. And then we realised, you know, I think every comedian that does life, uh, does stand-up is funny. I don't necessarily think that they're in the correct medium. Uh, yep. And then stand-ups, yep. you know, with podcasts, people find their medium and they go, oh, I don't really even really need to do the stand-up anymore. I enjoy this. This is where I accentuate my strengths the most. Um, and so I, uh, I think... Live comedy is my strength. I think just a crowd, a crowd is yeah, my strength, yeah, yeah. and energy is my strength from the from the crowd. So I can't do YouTube. I can't write. I can't, well, I, can't, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I can't. The things that I write in terms of scripts aren't amazing. I don't. I don't. I don't really know how to do the comedy part That's, of I that. Understand. So yeah. You're a physics fan. You're a fan of energy. It's, yeah. It's, it bounces off and it creates more I'm energy. a physics yeah. fan. That's, <laughs> that's, what you are. that's what they said in high school. Yeah, he's a, he's a real physics fan. <laughs> in the modern world that we live in in 2019, I think a lot of people forget the importance of comedy yeah, and, and certainly going out and seeing comedians and, and having a laugh. How important do you think comedy is in the, in the modern world and, and why, why is it important? I think that it can be very, very important. I think that it's almost become a echo of Facebook meme culture at the moment. I think that stand-up needs to go through another evolution because I think that it's getting a little bit too political, a little bit like, hey, Tony Abbott's bad, lol. Um, so I think that there needs to be an evolution. And then there, there kind of is um, it's starting to be an evolution with guys like Damien Power who uh, oh, there, there's a guy that I look up to. Um, he's creating. He's. I. I just think that they need to be the unheard voices. You need to go to stand up comedy to hear the unheard voices. Um, I think there was a period of time, and maybe we're getting to the end of it, where you would go to stand up comedy to hear the th- things that you'd hear on Twitter and Facebook anyway, just in live comedy form. And I think that there has been the oversaturation of of one point of view. So I I think stand up has been incredibly important over over time and over history, and I would love it to be important again. Right now, I feel as though, and this is why I do kind of resent stand up a little bit now. It is it has become pop culturey, and I don't kind of like you, you can do what you want, but when it's pop culture, it doesn't have that effect. Because they should be standing apart from pop culture, looking in and going, "Hey, don't enjoy this," you know, or yeah. "Don't," or, or "Or this is this is screwed up." But I don't, you know, guys like Kevin Hart can't do that because they are pop culture. So I think people go to maybe and and guys very very funny. Don't get me wrong, 
Um, but like they'll they'll go to it they'll go to a Kevin Hart thing because that's you know he's in your town. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like you go to actually hear something that is not really heard that often. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and so what you're saying is really going forward the you know, the importance of stand up comedy is really is to shine a mirror and question things rather than rather than actually be part of. Sure. I mean, stand-up comedy doesn't have to be that. It can yeah. be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. But if it's going to be important, yeah. it needs to shine a mirror on society rather than be... Part of the reflection, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Okay, and that's something that you're, you you believe in in your work? Uh don't know. I... Uh, <laughs> Not sure. I don't. I don't need stand up to be important. I don't need to say something important. I say what I want to say, and if it's if it's important or if it's part of pop culture, I don't care. As I'm having fun, yeah. um, but I, I don't think I have a, a a higher standard to set. So, like I say that, oh, Kevin Hart's in pop culture. I don't care if I'm in pop culture. Like I, I'm not saying I'm <laughs> saying important things. You can choose. You can choose either one, but only one's important. <laughs> And I don't care for importance, so I'm I'm probably in the in the pop culture one. How have you enjoyed this, Bo? This podcast, this conversation, this has been fun, man. It's been good to see you. Um, it's uh, it's yeah, but it's very. I don't know. I, I would rate it five stars on uh, I Wushka Wushka <laughs> iTunes iTunes yeah. iTunes Wushka. It's on Spotify as well, which is great. But I mean, if you're listening to this, then you already know. I've loved it. Man, it's, it's always great catching up. It's always great talking. I really hope people listening got some sort of insight into not only kind of stand-up comedy but into yourself. Again, thank you so much for, for your time. It's been awesome. No worries. Thanks for having me. My guest was comedian Bo Stegman. And thank you for listening to this episode of Intensely Inquisitive. My hope is that it's empowered you in some way through learning new things, inspiring you to learn more, or simply sparking interesting, deeper conversations. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you, so feel free to like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook and visit my website, orionkelly.com.au. That's O-R-I-O-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com.au. And if there's a topic or question you'd like me to explore in an upcoming episode of Intensely Inquisitive, please message me or post it on the Orion Kelly Facebook page or reach out on the Orion Kelly website. Until next time, keep asking questions. Thanks for listening to Intensely Inquisitive with Orion Kelly. For more episodes and to stay up to date, like the Orion Kelly page on Facebook.